we are definitely looking forward to welcoming people back. As I said, I want that that sound of outdoor dining. I want the sunshine. Come on, Melbourne, bring it. And um, I want happy customers and the smell of food back on the streets. And the busier everybody is, the more popular everybody is, not just us. I don't want to be the busiest place on the street. I want everyone to be busy. Melbourne is so proud of its cafe culture. It's something that the city prides itself on. And when people think about what they're missing in Melbourne town, while we're not allowed to hang out in cafes and restaurants, I think a lot of people see a beautiful coffee in front of them, perhaps some, perhaps some breakfast that they haven't had to make themselves. And yeah, maybe they're sitting there with a friend talking, maybe they're reading the newspaper, but I think cafe life is something that we are all missing. Today, we are speaking to somebody who is an expert at creating that great feeling in cafes. Her name is MJ Daffy and Carter Lovett is the cafe um, of hers that I've been to most recently. And in fact, I was there on a very auspicious day in 2020, wasn't I, MJ? You were indeed, Danny. Welcome to the podcast. Um, Yes, I was at Carter Lovett uh, doing an ABC radio segment on the 1st of June, which was the day that Melbourne was allowed to open for the first time after lockdown. And uh, goodness me, it was a really, really buzzy feeling. Numbers were restricted, of course, but it was amazing, wasn't it? It was an exciting day. We were we were incredibly excited. Uh, customers were overjoyed. You know, the eggs were poaching, the coffee was brewing. It was all back on, and I think we all felt, you know, that excitement, that return to some semblance of normality, which we're, you know, all craving so desperately. Um, and yeah, it's it is just the coffee, but the just the coffee is part of our our daily life, and it's it it brings us together it's uh it's a conversation it's where you run you know your cafe is where you run into your your friends you know you drop off the kids on the way to school and you run into the mums or the dads or you know office workers before they jump on the train and you know that that world may have all changed but um we're still here and we still want to be that that little part of the day that brings you some normality yeah, look, I mean, all those things you talk about speak of community and I know that community is really at the heart of what you and your husband Jim create when you uh, when you do your businesses. Can you talk about where that comes from in your life? Like why is that so central to the way that you do hospitality? Yeah, so I guess really uh, it goes back to my roots and I grew up in the Otways in a tiny little town and we had a general store and a pub and um, that was in the 80s, you know, growing up. And, and they were part of the daily life. We'd go and get um, a coffee or more often than not, you know, a juice out of the fridge and um, the daily newspaper. Um, but it was really about running into people, hearing how everyone was, saying hi to the general store owner or, you know, going to the pub, not myself personally, but, you know, my parents for a counter meal. That was the that was the special occasion and place, you know. We supported um, our local community through these venues, but we supported each other um, through these venues. It was a meeting place and I guess... When I moved to Melbourne and I got into hospitality, I didn't really know it at the time, but I, I felt that yearning to 
have that in Melbourne. And so um, we opened our first business uh, in Bentley in a sort of outer suburb in Melbourne eight years ago. And one of the first things we do, well, we did at the time was try to connect to the local schools and offer cooking classes or offer, you know, a class to come into the, the cafe. And yeah, I guess it was as much about business and connecting to the community, but also about us um, embedding ourselves in the community and not just the – we didn't want it to just be transactional. Um, and I think we've continued that. We've done four businesses, four cafes since, um, one in Elstonwick, one in Gardenvale and now this one in, in Elstonwick again. And uh, we've got a great following, but I think we have this – we've built up a beautiful community and um, I, I guess if I look back to it, it comes from, from my roots. Also, sorry, uh, Danny, my, my business partner, uh, who he didn't start with us uh, in Bentley, but he, as a business partner, but he was our head chef and he's from the country as well. So I think it's just sort of embedded in who we are. And how important has that been, that sort of pillar of hospitality been through 2020? Oh, integral to our business, absolutely. Um, I think when it when it first hit COVID and we closed down in March, we, we actually we closed for a period of four weeks because uh, we hadn't set this up at all to be a takeaway venue. Our previous businesses, um, we had a takeaway component to the business, but when we started Carter Love It, we sort of wanted to up the ante a little and um, we really wanted to sit quite comfortably in that sort of cafe bistro zone. So we opened really with a very, very um, select takeaway offering. Um, we didn't have a fridge set up um, you know, or a front counter set up where there was a display cabinet of any sort. So so when COVID hit and it was takeaway only, we really had to take some time and reimagine our business. Um, and so we did, we took the four weeks um, and, and came back, I think, you know, with a vengeance, I'd like to say, um, and with enthusiasm, you know, we're here, we're able to trade and we have a, a community to serve. And we we want to be here. We want to we want to serve people, and we want to be that you know consistency during the day. I mean, you sound quite pragmatic in the way you speak about it. Like, yes, the world's been turned upside down. You need to take a bit of breathing space to work out how you're going to action yourself in the new world. But is, is, I mean, was it? Are you as pragmatic as you sound? Yeah, I think um, I do have a fairly pragmatic approach. We just we just had to get on with it. We um, had poured a huge amount of money into this gorgeous Victorian building on the corner of Glen Huntley Road, um, one of the oldest commercial shop fronts, and it was it's stunning. You know, I'm really proud of what we've achieved, and it just couldn't sit dormant. You know, we we'd had four months of trade. We'd sort of we had this momentum, and you need to ride that momentum. So we needed to take that that breather reassess um, recalibrate but we needed to move forward and you know I think at the core of hospitality we're an incredibly resilient and creative bunch and we have um, this you know it sounds a bit cliche that sort of old saying that we're like a family but when you stand next to someone for 10 hours every shift five days a week or you know in in business owners cases sometimes seven these people are our family, our staff are our family. So it wasn't just about um, 
maintaining our business, which of course, you know, we have children to feed and we needed to continue to have the money to come in. But we also have this fantastic um, staff. We have fantastic staff members and they have families and they, you know, needed to continue to pay rent, um, survive, buy groceries. We have visa holders um, who didn't uh, obviously have much, any government support. Um, and we were having daily phone calls. It was in a very emotional time. Uh, we needed to we needed to push on. And so I think, yeah, I think as a group we're quite pragmatic, but I think the hospitality industry as a whole is incredibly resilient and creative. I've always said that. Mm. So how did you serve your community um, through this period? So I guess we started, you know, quite, Quite basically, we got some display cabinets uh, made up and we filled them with things that we thought people wanted um, from a cafe offering. So, you know, your danishes and your sweets and baguettes and, you know, lovely meatball subs and, you know, things like that. But And your coffee and, and uh, juices and things. But uh, once we were trading again, um, we started to really work on that offering. Um, and I think... You know, at the beginning, there was that sort of knee-jerk reaction. We just need to get open and continue to trade. What does that look like? Once we were in it, we realised the whole whole service industry was different. Um, people wanted the same fare that they were used to getting and they wanted it take-home. Um, we started offering take-home meals that we were doing for our night service um, and that that was really successful as well um, and then we started to add things that we were I guess we would never ordinarily have done but we started to add items from our menu um, dine-in takeaway during the day as well so our salads our birches our panna cottas were sort of our basic but then we upped that and started sort of serving some grilled salmon with our salads and our grilled chicken and you know it sort of just grew from there and that became quite popular as well and I think you know the silver lining from it all is that it, it sort of COVID has in some way revolutionized the way that we do take away and take home and I don't mean just us personally but um, you know Victoria as a whole and I think that that's that's there to stay actually and I think it's exciting that it is there to stay. Well, at the moment in Melbourne, a lot of the conversation is around outdoor dining. How are you feeling about that? Um, well, you know, Melbourne is Melbourne. So we, we have uh, very unpredictable weather to contend with and they are predicting a wet summer. So, you know, um, you have that on one hand. But on another hand, I kind of, maybe not in a city, we, we're in Alstonwick, so, um, you know, a, a suburb. We have these beautiful wide streets. Um, if we can do it and, and do it really well, we're really lucky. We have this fantastic outdoor area on the east side of our building and it runs down the street. So we are one of the lucky ones and I, I completely understand that. But I have thought about those sort of, you know, balmy nights and, um if it's possible in Melbourne, but, you know, walking down the street and having that that, that beautiful sound of dining outside, you know, the, the clink of glasses and the laughter and the joy of people coming together again. And, uh, you know, 
I was saying to someone the other day, I was listening to your um, podcast uh, with Jason Jones and he was talking about the outdoor dining opposite Entrecot um, in the park. Like how wonderful. That reminds me of Melbourne Food and Wine Festival long lunches. It's one of my, you know, fondest memories of Melbourne. And to have that as a possible permanent over summer in, in Melbourne, I think, is something to really look forward to if it can work. I guess I'm being quite positive about it. Um, I I know that there are so many, you know, negatives that we can pull from it, but I think if that's just what it what it's going to be, we need to try and um, and look for the positives. Mm. I think there will be, and uh, you know, today the day I'm talking to you, it's absolutely glorious, and you know, you just feel like it's beautiful you, outside. <laughs> it's so nice. I feel like there'll be there'll be some of those stories, some of those experiences. There'll be some experiences where we're like holding with both hands onto umbrellas as the wind whips them up. Yeah, um, totally. And, yeah, like. That's the frightening side of it. Well, yeah, wondering, what, wringing out rags to wipe seats down and all that sort of stuff. So, look, we, we know that it's um, not going to be one long picnic, but there will be some beautiful picnic days in amongst it. Um and I guess speaking about that, you know, at the moment we are allowed to have picnics delivered to us or pick up picnics to take to take to the local park. Tell me what you're doing in that regard and, you know, whether that's another opportunity to really think about your customers and what they want from you. Yeah, absolutely. So every time, I mean, you know, I think I used this before, we, we have consistently had to reimagine our business and that has been probably the most challenging. Um, so, you know, we started with this sort of basic takeaway, um, or not basic, but a usual takeaway um, cafe fare, and then we upped that to the take-home meals and that was incredibly successful. Um, and from there we decided, well, you know, we're not opening nights and we'd opened four nights. Um, we've got this, you know, beautiful new kitchen why don't we utilise that? And so we actually put on a, a burger night, which, you know, we never opened to become a burger shop, but um, we thought what can what can we do that, you know, people are going to understand, people are going to have the funds um, because, you know, there's a lot of people that have lost part or all of their employment um, and fair that we knew would travel okay, you know, because suddenly we're seeing or we have, we have this... Uh, we're creating food that we ha- that has to travel for 15 minutes on a bike, for instance. And so um, it was a lot of sort of testing, sitting burgers in boxes for 10, 15, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, seeing what worked, what didn't. Um, so we opened that. That was fantastic, Friday, Saturday nights, and we're, and we're still, you know, we're still going to do that until we can open for sit-in dining again. And then, of course, the restrictions ease um, once more and people can, can go out for is up to five people, two different households. And so now we've put together picnic boxes. So um, they are for adults um, but also, you know, Elson and surrounds a huge family area. So we've got some little kids' boxes as well um, that you've got this lovely cold-pressed juice in, um, a little sort of sweet treat and um 
and a savoury. And we got these gorgeous little happy stickers made up, uh, really colourful, um, that our graphic designer actually um, designed at the start of COVID for the ICU wards. His wife is a is a nurse, and it was I see love. Um, and they're they're really gorgeous and happy. And we use we've used them the whole way through actually, just as a a little bit of a take home, you know sparkle of energy a bit of fun um just to remind everyone that yeah you, you know we are living through um unprecedented times but we're all still we're, we're here um and you know there will be we'll get we'll get through this there, there's light at the end of the tunnel and we're almost there you know um but but it has been, you know, this is, I guess now uh, the conversations we're having are actually um, most recently uh, with, with my business partners has been about, you know, what will that look like and will we extensibly be running two businesses under the one roof because, you know, for the past five to six months we have reimagined our business so many times um, and we have we've sort of got this new traction, do we want to then just, you know, give that all away or do we find a way to continue to run that arm without, you know, um, interfering with what we always wanted to do with the business here? So that's the new conversation and how do we do that successfully? Um, and th that, that will come with its own challenges as well. Yeah, well, I suppose there are so many variables and when diner numbers are still restricted, as I believe they will be for a good while, then the, I mean, it's not that you would have had so much fat in the business that you can afford to, I don't know, drop 40% or whatever it might be and just, you know, toddle along merrily. Um, so, yeah, I imagine there will be a lot of balancing and juggling and, yeah, as you say, you know, you've 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 successfully served the community with all these different types of things and why would you want to give them up if there is still demand? I suppose it's 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 such a hard year to plan in any regard. I suppose that that is something else. I suppose you can plan, you can you can set your intention, I suppose, but I don't know exactly know how you could um, decide exactly what you're going to do and what you're going to keep, what you're going to let go. Well, it's, it's difficult too because obviously a lot of it is about um, what customers are going to want. There will be, I think, uh, I hope, uh, a huge portion of people who will, you know, desperately want to come back out and dine. But I think there will be still a, a sense of fear for some people. And so it's about, you know, what percentages of people, you know, will it be worth keeping that sort of take-home, take-away? Um, um, will that drop significantly because everybody will be, you know, vying for an outdoor table? Um, it, it's it's really just, you know, I get, it is a guessing game. But um, I, I think there's room for both and I think it's, um, you know, I think it's exciting. It's exciting that you can get Attica at home. It's, it's you know, it's fantastic that you can get a steak from Entrecote, for instance, you know, delivered in Ballarat um, potentially. Like these are, it's it's phenomenal. Um, but also, you know, I can't wait to, to go home and, you know, go down to Lawn and eat at one of the beautiful restaurants, you know, along the waterfront there. And I don't know, I think, I think that, yeah, as I said, I think there's room for for everything, but but how much of that we keep and how much we'll have to let go is yet to be decided. 
Mm. Yeah. So let's talk about, I guess, the structure of the industry. And it wasn't all roses for restaurants before COVID. Can you talk about you know, how hard it has been to run your cafes and whether you think there should be structural changes to the industry? Yeah. Um, so, look, I think, I think uh, the hospitality industry had its flaws pre-COVID and I think that COVID has just exposed the vulnerabilities of of the industry. Um, It's been increasingly difficult to make ends meet for many businesses in the industry. The margins have become so thin um, with the increase of of wages and payroll tax and uh, the increase of, you know, goods has, has gone up considerably purchasing goods and what we pay for quality is increasingly more expensive and yet at the other end we're not charging that on the menu. Um, You know, the idea of paying $4.50 for a coffee is outrageous and yet I think in the eight years that we've been in cafes we would at least be paying, you know, maybe 5 to $10 more a kilo. Um, So we're not – it doesn't balance, nothing balances. And so I guess I, I really believe there needs to be an overhaul of, of how it works because what we're going to see, I, I think, is really good operators, young operators that would love to get into the business like me and my husband were eight years ago. Um, they won't be able to break in. Um, I think there's been a movement, particularly in the cafe scene, into um, you know interior design and you know look we got caught up in it as well but you know there's this real sort of push for this phenomenal new uh, amazing looking business Um, but you know people don't have those funds unless they've you know bought and sold businesses or had money injected from other places Um, so I think I think that's sort of one part of it another part is and I guess one that I've been increasingly concerned about is um and I don't know how this to balance this because I've been an employee and I've been an employer so I really understand both sides um but wages is a is a real issue and um weekend you know, the pay differentiation between weekend and days. Um, It's really difficult for us. We might have a 16-year-old, for instance, come in and give me a resume and I'd love to give that person a chance but I need to train him or her from the the ground up and I have somebody else who with 15 years' experience that will get the same pay rate for the same working hours and I know which one that I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose the more experienced. And so I think how do we balance people giving up their weekends, um, lack of experience and also, you know, people, employers doing the wrong thing. You know, I don't want anybody to be taken for a ride. That's not at all what I'm suggesting but because I've been on the receiving side of that as well and that that doesn't feel nice. So I guess we need that I feel like that needs to really be looked at. I don't have the answers, but um I I feel like we're at risk of 
you know, what will hospitality look like in 10 years' time and will young kids who desperately want the opportunity to work in good businesses be given the opportunity if there's not some sort of pay grading structure um, that, yeah, that, that can work for business owners. Um, and I think payroll tax is a huge issue. It's a, it's a, it's a huge, huge issue um, that I'd like to see, you know, worked on and potentially abolished. Um, so I think that they're the main, the main points that I see as um, points that needs to be worked on moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you do, you need some, you need young adults coming into the industry of course, being rewarded fairly, but to be uh, to for it to be understood that if they're inexperienced and you need to put in the extra time to train them, you know they 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 might be um, putting a toe in just as much as you're trying them out. There does it does seem like it's to the industry's benefit for there to be some accommodation for yeah the, the, those those various needs and those differences. One body in a room is not necessarily doing you know doing the same as another. Of course, um, and, and, and it's—I yeah. mean, obviously, we have that pay structure within a kitchen, but I think I'm speaking more front of house. It's—you um, know—I started, and I'm not saying that this is necessarily right. I started at a very low pay grade um, in in lawn, and you know, it was a holiday season, and it was crazy mad, and I loved it. You know, I absolutely loved it, but I got—I got trained from nothing to something, and then I came to Melbourne, and I had the skills, and and you know, I. It, it really did forge a love of hospitality along with my, my parents and um, on the farm. You know, it was fantastic. And I want that for the next generation of kids coming up. I want that for all generations. Um, and I think that sort of comes back to as well the hospitality industry and waiting, wait, being a waiter, being a professional bartender, being a barista, that is a serious profession. You know, we choose this because we love it and we're good at it and we create fantastic fare and a fantastic experience. That's a skill. It's an absolute skill. And I think the more people that can recognise that, and not just within our industry but from outside, um, the better. The better it will be for everyone. And if anything, I think COVID may may help that. Um, maybe I'm drawing a long bow here, but I have certainly noticed a difference between pre and post or, you know, pre-COVID and during COVID. Uh, you know, sometimes there was barely eye contact when someone ordered a coffee pre-jumping on a train because they had to, you know, get into work in the city and it was go, go, go. Now those same people, they have the time, you know, they have the time to stop and appreciate the conversation, the eye contact, you know, someone taking the time to make a beautiful coffee. Yeah, it's a coffee, but it's really well made and it's you know, presented in a gorgeous cup that's been thoughtfully designed by a designer to make you happy and the experience better, you know. People aren't just putting graphics on a cup just to have branding. It's more than that now. It's an experience, you know. We're really thinking about what people take away and how it's viewed. Yeah, look, I think when you talk to people at the moment about what they're missing, they're not talking about the food that they're missing. They're not, They're not. you know... It's not about the it's not about what's on the plate. It's about the experience that goes with it. And I really hope you're right that the the way that people are valuing any little skerrick of hospitality that they're able to to um, enjoy at the moment will be so overwhelmingly 
beautiful and meaningful for them when they're allowed to sit down in restaurants, uh, that that will um, be part of a greater appreciation that also hopefully extends to being willing to pay more because, of course, a lot of the issues that you've identified with, uh, with training young staff uh, would be alleviated to some degree if people were willing to pay more for a coffee and more for a meal and more for that experience overall. So I, I wonder what you think about that. I mean, it is we are in a very interesting economic um, ec- economic times now. A lot of people have got less money to um, to spend on discretionary items. But I mean, how how do you? I mean, does it need to be reflected on the menu? Look, it's a real it's a real balancing act because I think and. I think we need to be, as business owners, um, we we need to be really mindful of the fact that, that a lot of the people who have supported us for a long time or new customers simply won't have, you know, maybe the, the two-person income into their household or the one-person income, you know, um, particularly with the, you know, slashing of job seeker and, and job keeper. In times are tough. They're really tough for people. So... I think there has to be a balance. You know, yes, maybe we have to increase prices of certain things, but is there a way that we can balance um, maybe our menu? Maybe we don't run such a large menu. Maybe we, we run a more compact menu, um, which means we don't have so much stock in the core room or, you know, perishable potentially goods. And, you know, maybe it's just us running our businesses smarter. Um Maybe it's increasing prices where we can or, you know, leaving prices the same but coordinating our menu differently. Um, again, I think it goes back to that creativity that I think is is at the core of hospitality. Um, I think there are ways to do it. I think also there really needs to be an understanding of why surcharges are on the menu. Um, we're not doing it to put more money in our pockets. We're doing it because we really need to do it in order to pay the staff. And I've had, you know, um, I I do the social media for our businesses and I've had some really interesting, um, very irate conversations with customers who refuse to ever come back because we, we, you know, put a surcharge on Sundays on our our menu. Maybe it's just, you know, that sort of understanding I think is really not there that it, we're not doing it to line our pockets we're doing it as a necessity um, little things like that and, and when, when what does that come back to it it's edu- trying to educate people I suppose uh, yeah that is a that's a very tricky one but I suppose that you know perhaps that's the same person that would never go holiday somewhere in high season I mean that's the comparison isn't it it's like yeah <laughs> you know well it's actually it's not even a fair comparison because I guess things are more expensive in high season because there's more demand but that's actually nothing to do with demand it is as you say it's not it's not touching your pockets it's just going straight into it um it's like a a, a legislated extra um, expense that you have on a Sunday, so yeah, it is. Of course, it's it is it's it's education, it's understanding, and it's the willingness to listen, I suppose. Yes, and realise that we're not putting the prices up on the menu. You know, on a Sunday, we're not giving out an, an alternate menu. Like there are other ways that we could do it. You know, we've we've had roundtable meetings about this very thing. You know, should we just give out a different menu that doesn't actually state a surcharge with different prices? Like, but then then we feel like somehow we're deceiving customers. Like it is – and, you know, the worst thing that you can ever do is is presume that anybody 
you know, isn't smart enough to, to clue on to something like that as well. So, you know, we've always been very transparent about the way that we run things and, um, yeah, you know, is there a wrong or a right? No, absolutely not. There's just, a, I think, a, a huge grey area and um, I guess that's what I'd love to have looked at. Yeah. Well, um, MJ, do you want to just finish off by giving us a little manifesto for spring and summer in Melbourne? What do you think it's going to be like? What's your mindset going to be? How are you leading your team through it? Uh, is it is there going to be some marvellous Melbourne ahead for us? Yes. Yes, absolutely. We are looking towards marvellous Melbourne. I think, um, you know, October 19, it's the date that we're all sort of heading towards. Um, let's hope it's good news from Dan Andrews. But we, you know, we've said worst case scenario, end of November, we're going to be operational dine-in to some degree. Now, whether that's, you know, for, for us, we have an amazing outdoor space that's sectioned off, so we're looking you know, worst case, 30 outside, 10 inside, um, that's that's 40 people, that's 40 more than we could have, you know, today, that we can have today. So we are definitely looking forward to welcoming people back. As I said, I want that, that sound of outdoor dining. I want the sunshine. Come on, Melbourne, bring it. And um, I want happy customers and the smell of food back on the streets and, the retail open, you know, the for for us we're we're a major shopping strip, you know, in Elston Week, and the the busier everybody is, the more popular everybody is. Not just us. I don't want to be the busiest place on the street. I want everyone to be busy. You know, that's always sort of been our motto. Um, again, going back to community, I want everyone out and. You know, almost that European feel. Can we do it? I think we can. I think we can. Um, I know that our staff are ready and I really hope that, you know, I think Victorians are amazing. We're amazing. We're a resilient bunch. We, we can do this. And that's that's sort of how we're looking at it and we're going to move forward with that. I love it, MJ. So good. Uh, so fantastic to, to get your perspective, to get a little blast of your energy and um, that, that great warmth and welcome that you give to your customers, your community and, of course, to your restaurant family. Um, thanks so much for doing what you do. And, yeah, thank you for sharing with the Dirty Linen audience today. Thanks, Danny. Thank you. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We wanna hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production. <laughs>